Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, which is a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, your host, and today we are joined by a special guest, Amy Lucas, who along with me, is actually still working in this crazy space. Uh, Amy, how are you doing? Oh, my goodness. I am doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me to uh, be part of your podcast. This is very exciting, and it's always fun to reminisce about the Salt Lake Games because I think that they they live on, and they have lived on since, you know, since the since 2002. Amy, where are you joining us from? I see you're sitting in an office. You've got nice books behind you and there's a window and it's a beautiful partly cloudy skies in the background. I am in my office in our newly built building, uh, Infinite Scale. And we, uh, myself and two friends that I had met during the Olympics, Molly Mazzolini and Cameron Smith, we started Infinite Scale right after um, the end of the Olympics. So in 2002, we fell in love with Utah and wanted to make Utah our home. So we decided to start a company and Infinite Scale was born. And there I am. Wow, that's amazing. And what does Infinite Scale do? So Infinite Scale is a sport design consultancy. So we work with leagues and teams to create their branded experiences in venues and events. So for instance, I was one of the lead art directors for the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter Games, along with my now business partner, Cameron Smith. And we were responsible for the graphic overlay of the city and the venues for Salt Lake. So similar to what we did for the Olympics is also what we continue to do at infinite scale for Super Bowls or the College Football National Championship. And we also work um, on the permanent side of our venues for a new build of a stadium like the Las Vegas Stadium that's being built right now. I'm curious, you know, we're, we're recording this we're recording this podcast during a really tumultuous time in our country. And actually, the entire planet is under this uh, crazy uh, virus thing. And and it's shutting down entire industries. And sports and entertainment is one of those industries that's been really hard hit. How has Infinite Scale been impacted by this really crazy COVID-19 pandemic that's going around? Yes, that is a great question. And it it has impacted the sport industry. I mean, obviously it's impacted the entire world. And, you know, there's nobody that um, is not feeling this effect in one way or another, right? Um, you know, certainly there's there's so many unknowns right now. I mean, we we fortunately just got through our event season where we have focused on a lot of our events, which are through the National Hockey League and Pac-12 and the College Football National Championship. So we just finished those events. So they just happened. They happened before all of this hit. And so we got through that. Um, A lot of our other projects that we're working on in the sport world are under construction and construction is still moving forward. So we haven't felt the impact yet, but we don't know what's happening in the sport world. We don't know when, you know, when the sport world world will re-engage again. And when it does, will it look different than it did before? Yeah, I think all of us are in a holding pattern. Most of the work that I do is with the International Olympic Committee. And as suppliers to the committee, we're all just waiting for them to to make certain decisions to so that we understand what the impact is going to be on us. Um, yeah. And so... Yeah. 
because of that, I'm not in Beijing this week as I was supposed to be. I'm here in Salt Lake City, actually in Sandy, oh and I'm talking with you. So that's a that's a nice way to make some lemonade out of some lemons as I get to right. connect with some people that uh, we used to work together many, many years ago. Now, you mentioned that uh, these games brought you to Utah. What were you doing before you joined Slock? And how did you get to from whatever you were doing before that time over to the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? No, I love it. I love this question because I have told this story quite some times. Um, I was actually working for a design firm in Los Angeles and was extremely um, happy living in LA, living the dream, um, you know, having my palm trees and my Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> and I, I stay involved in pro our professional organization, which is the American Institute of Graphic Arts. It's uh, our design organization. And it, there was a recruiter that had tapped into that um that list pool. And so I had received uh, an outreach from a recruiter about this design position at the Salt Lake Olympics. And I read the description thought, oh my gosh, this is absolutely amazing. I gave it to all my friends and said, this is a great job. You got to go for it. For two weeks, I'm just giving it to all my friends. Like, this is a great job. You got to go for it. Because I was super happy. I was working on great projects. I wasn't looking to move. I was in a really good space. And then after two weeks, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a great opportunity for me. Like, I wasn't even thinking about myself. I was kind of thinking, awesome opportunity. I've got friends that would love this. So I kind of dipped my toe in the water, called the recruiters, like, tell me more. And as we were chatting, it was like, wow, you you have this experience, specific experience that we're seeking. And and before I knew it, I'm out in Salt Lake interviewing and and dropping everything in L.A. and and moving to Salt Lake City, where I didn't know a single single soul. It was amazing. So you knew nobody here. You just dropped everything and you came here to Salt Lake City as someone coming from Southern California to Salt Lake City. How was that for you? Was it a bit of <laughs> culture shock uh, aside from missing the palm trees and a little bit yeah. of a change in the weather? Yeah, it definitely was. But I grew up in Ohio and I went to school at the University of Cincinnati. So I've spent a lot of time with all the seasons and my dream was to move out west. And I was living in L.A. for about uh, five years prior to this opportunity to move to Salt Lake. And, you know, L.A. is a big city, hustle and bustle and um, people everywhere, cars everywhere. And when I moved to Salt Lake, it definitely, um, you know, there were less people, huge culture shock for me. Um, I was living downtown in the avenues, First Avenue, right behind the Cathedral of the Madeline. And so very close to downtown. And I was walking around downtown thinking, where are all the people? I don't see any people. <laughs> it's very different these days than it was back in, that was 1999 when I moved here. But I was very excited to be back in um, an area where they had the four seasons. 75 and sunny kind of got a little stale for me in, in California. So I love the seasons. And, I, and once I went through my first winter here, Compared to the winters in Ohio, this was nothing. I was like, this is a piece of cake. <laughs> I love all the seasons here. It is true. I mean, I, I used to do work in Cleveland. And so in the wintertime, mm. oh, man, you'd get this uh, lake effect off of Lake Erie. And it was yeah. just this bone chilling, humid cold mm -hmm. that uh, thankfully we don't get here in Salt Lake City. Yes. So I'm very glad to, to not yes. have to deal with that. 
you mentioned the avenues. That's really awesome. We used to live in the avenues uh, before we moved out here to Sandy. You remember where the Smith's uh, food, uh, the, mm-hmm. this grocery store, mm-hmm. we lived right by that grocery store um, there in the avenues and actually you know, absolutely loved living there, loved our time there. But now we're you know more in the yeah. suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. The avenues are great. And, and living you know, so close to downtown that I could just walk down and be a part of it. You were responsible and your team were responsible for some of the most iconic look items. I mean, you still see to this day when you see pictures of uh, the games here in Salt Lake, you see the buildings with the huge wraps Mm -hmm. on them and everything. Uh, Take me through that process. What was that like trying to decide what the look was going to be and how that look was going to be presented in Salt Lake? Yeah, no, that that uh, the cityscape program is certainly an iconic memory of the Salt Lake Games. And it was a a huge project um, that I had an opportunity to work on with many, many other people, of course. Um, But, you know, I remember standing on top of one of the buildings downtown as we were looking at the different camera angles for broadcasts and evaluating the city and the mountains and thinking, what could we do and where Olympic Metal Plaza was going to be. And as it was kind of built out and we were looking at the backdrop of the city and we have these beautiful mountains and we thought, wow, we've got all these, these, these canvases with these buildings. What if we, you know, projected or put building wraps on all of them and, and highlighted and celebrated all the different sports for the, you know, coming in for the, uh, and celebrating for the, the winter Olympic games. So we, you know, we really kind of tapped in and looked at, okay, this building here and this building here. And in the end, it was a two-year project and was, it, it involved a lot of different um, levels of complication because we were doing something that had never been done before. And with that, it included the photo shoot with these athletes that we needed them to represent Olympic athletes and where you know, wear certain uniforms, as well as, um, you know, they couldn't be recognizable athletes. So we had to make sure that we found the right people that weren't going to be competing in the Olympics, but then they could get the right form and, um, you know, really represent an Olympic athlete. I have to say, I think for me personally, and this is my own headcanon here, but I think that the that the look that was put on all the buildings accomplished two things. Number one, it really did uh, make the city uh, look amazing. And number two, um, many people might consider the Salt Lake City skyline a bit boring. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there, there aren't a lot of humongously tall buildings and, right. and the buildings that are there are generally square buildings. And it's gotten a little bit yeah. more diverse over the last decade or so as more structures have been raised. But but at that time, I mean, it was a bit of a boring, uh, for yeah. my, for me, for me personally, it was a little but bit boring looking and I think that, that the look- but you said it, oh. <laughs> but you know, I think that we wanted, yeah, I'll say it was a blank canvas and we had a great opportunity to, you know, do something with it. And, um, because there, there were a lot of these square rectangle buildings that really gave us that those opportunities. So with the mountains in the background, it really allowed us to highlight and, um, you know, really highlight the, 
what's beautiful about Salt Lake is, you know, the scenery, the mountains, and the city is a small city. It's really, it's condensed, it's small. And to have these, these, we had four, again, 14 different uh, athlete images all throughout the downtown. So we had that, that compacted opportunity and um, viewpoint for broadcast. Now, tell me about the rings, you know, in addition to all that rap on the, you had the rings on the hill up above the University of Utah. And for me, that, that was a goosebump moment for me driving. And I mentioned this in in the very first episode of these podcasts. How did that idea of putting the rings up there come about? You know, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, certainly again, with the, the cityscape program, you know, you, you, we have these opportunities when you, when you look and see now, of course, there were many, many people involved in, in, in this and um, from the ceremonies department to, um, to the look of the games and the creative, uh, the creative department as well. Um, but you know how a lot of the universities have the Y and the U up and up on the mountains and, you know, to really kind of make your mark, it just seemed like the perfect opportunity for the Olympic rings. And of course, you know, they were um, lit every night and, and throughout the day and really just kind of such a simple um, iconic brand too with the Olympic rings. It's so it's easy to replicate um, in various different forms. I personally was not involved in um, the creation of those of, of, of the rings on the mountain, but I like you um, found them to be spectacular. You mentioned that it takes a lot of people to put on a games and you work with many, many different people in different areas. Uh, tell us about some of those people. Who were some of the really interesting or inspiring people that you worked with during your tenure at Salt Lake? Oh, well, that is a very good question. I mean, yeah, we actually we worked with a lot of different people. I mean, certainly my partner in crime was um who is now my business partner, Cameron Smith, he, he moved here from Dallas and he and I actually started the same day, October 3rd, 1999 in, in the same department. It was called image at the time. Um, they did some restructuring later in the years of, of the organization where then we became the look of the games department. But the wild thing about working with Cameron was, you know, we complimented each other. Uh, he was kind of this wild, crazy, creative genius. And, you know, even though like I come from this design background and I have this, you know, my design sensitivities, um, I was the one that really kind of kept us organized and together and kept things moving. So we complemented each other, which also led to why we're business partners now. I remember us flying over to Amsterdam in two, November of uh, 2001 right before the games, we were doing a press check on the fence wrap, which was being printed um, over in Amsterdam. It was a dye sublimation process and it was a very long flight. And I remember at the time us thinking or or speaking to each other and saying, okay, well, we haven't killed each other (laughs) through this. You know, we're experiencing a lot of stress together. We, we realized that um, we worked very well together. And through that, you know, came the idea of, well, I think we should go into business together. So I would have to say one of the the most iconic um, people that I worked with during the games was Cameron. And, you know, also with that, I would I would throw in um, my other business partner, Molly, because she actually worked for the um, USOC and she would come down and, and meet with Cameron and I say, OK, this is what the these different corporate partners want to do for their look and um, their activation. And how does that integrate with what what 
what we're working on for the the games as a whole. So we would work together um, to make sure there was integration. So there was more impact for them and more impact for the games. So I know. Um, so, so yeah. So from those, those experiences, you know, beautiful friendships have been built um, even beyond my business partners. I mean, a, a lot of my friends and still some of my best friends today are, I met during the Olympics and, you know, we were all coming from different places from all over the world. And, you know, we had this opportunity to partner together and work together and, and go through a lot of stress together. I think the games were super intense, but we, there was always that light at the end of the tunnel. So, so it was easy in many ways to just keep, keep working towards it because you could see the, again, that light, you could see what, what you were working towards. And of course, when that opportunity was here and we were experiencing it, it, it filled you up like you wouldn't believe. And from that, after the games, you know, all of all of this, these friends that that the friendships that you've built, you know, everyone continued on. Some continued on bouncing around from event to a different Olympics or creating their own businesses or moving to different places. So our network just just, again, expanded globally, which has also been really wonderful um, to have that those relationships all over the world. Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, and it is amazing to work in, in this kind of an industry. It's a huge amount of fun, but you mentioned that it wasn't always easy. I mean, there, there were some challenging um, times. What were, what were some examples of some things that were hard, but you were able to come up with some creative solutions to, to address the challenges that you faced? Yeah. You know, I, I would say, um, Instantly, when when you ask that question, I think about some of the challenges that came like I think it was the day before opening ceremony. Um, Every all the look was installed and we had we had a huge storm come through. And I don't know if you remember, but for us, it was um, very impactful because it was extremely high winds that came through. And and I remember at Soldier Hollow, we had some 16 foot banners that were um, they were four feet by 16 feet. And we had a row of them and they looked beautiful out in the, the scenery, you know, for biathlon and cross country. And they just got ripped right in half, which, of course, when we when we design and we install, you know, everything's engineered. It's, you know, it's all calculated, but the storm that came through was so intense. And, you know, we're thinking, Oh my goodness. And, and at the stadium, Rice Eccles stadium or opening ceremonies was as well. There were, there were a lot of things that were damaged within, you know, 12 hours of opening ceremony. So there was a lot of rush happening and, you know, we had amazing production partners and installation partners that were able to reproduce things, get them out, get them installed, get them up before the broadcast was ready to roll. So, you know, we had, and, and those kind of challenges we had throughout the entire game because there were storms and there were winter um, conditions, ice and um, various things that create challenges for us in, you know, in the, in the work that we do, uh, the look and decor for, for events, even these days, but, but, you know, every day there was always something and it's kind of like, you got to be nimble, got to be quick and got to think of what are those creative solutions that, okay. Um, you know, that I remember one of the, um, the situations that 
actually Cameron dealt with was the the flower podiums. Remember, they did flower ceremonies at the end of each competition because the medal ceremony was done in the evening downtown. Right. Um, open to everyone. So the flower ceremonies, but the podiums were slippery because of the ice. And so, you know, there was on the fly, like the competition's you know, just about ready to, to finish and, and, you know, celebrate the, um, the medal winners. And, you know, they realize that, okay, if, if with their ski boots on, they're going to slip on, they're going to slip on this podium. So, you know, getting on the fly, like thinking of what materials and sand and all this stuff. So you're kind of always constantly thinking of how can we, um, you know, how can we uh, avert any disasters? Now, of course you plan for as many as you can in advance, but sometimes there's things that come up that, perhaps maybe you didn't think about, or again, with the, the conditions or the weather, it changes something that was planned for. So being able to just kind of adapt and be creative in the solutions um, so that you could mitigate the risk and, and um, hopefully nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think so because I don't think it made front page news anywhere. I don't oh, think so. Yeah. <sighs> The, the skier so-and-so slipped on the podium while uh, right. getting draped yeah. with the gold medal or, right. you know, right. so-and-so went out to Soldier Hollow and none of the banners were there. Right. So, so well done. Well done. For, Disaster uh, diverted. Yes. Yeah. Crisis averted. And you, you were able to hide um, the chaos yeah. behind closed doors, right? Yes. Yes. Well, I think everyone who does one of these games, um, they they have experiences that they they're sitting around afterwards and thinking, oh, man, that was just hilarious. You remember when the person did this or that and it was so funny. Um, do you have any humorous or funny stories? Maybe they weren't funny at the time. But as you look back after, you know, 18 years, you think, oh, actually, that was pretty hilarious. Well, yeah, let's see. I'm, I'm sure I have a lot of stories and um, I have to kind of tap back into them. But I but I think, you know, some of the things that that pop into my memory when when you're sharing or when you're asking me this question, you know, we had our department had moved to a triple wide trailer um, out on the west side of downtown about I want to say at least six months prior to the games because we were setting up for um, the connection to our warehouse where all of our products would be coming in so we could manage the inventory and disbursement to the various venues. Are you saying so we, that you become uh, trailer trash on the west side um, of town? You know, we always, we did kind of uh, say we had a three-legged three -legged dog, um, you know, outside, which we did not, although I did grow up with a three-legged dog. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But we we had this triple wide trailer that we were in and we even had some um, so people could take naps um, because you know you're working. Oh uh, yeah, you're really night. slumming it, man. I know Sleeping we were slumming on the west side in a well, triple wide trailer. Yeah, yeah, and so um, you know, and and I think like probably with each department and you know each team and each group that you work with, when you go through these very stressful times, you know you you document. There was somebody had put together a book of, of famous quotes that were said from people on our team, and and I can't remember what they are. I'd have to dig them out, but it was documented like throughout the years. Somebody had tracked that all of that 
and then shared and then shared it as a gift to all of us. Like these, you know, you said this, you said this. And, you know, it's so funny, the bonding, the amazing bonding that you have with your team. And even those those funny moments or those sad moments or those scary moments really become those moments that that keep you connected and, and um, you know, create those tighter bonds that that you really couldn't get anywhere else had you not experienced that trauma or that stress um, together, you know, like kind of like we're all experiencing right now. Yeah. I want to come back to this book of quotes. I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing. Like who, who thinks this? Oh, you know what? Um, that's an interesting <laughs> thing. I'm going to write that down. And then I want to know if there was any kind of arbitration where there are arguments like, you know, I actually didn't say that. <laughs> You can't prove that I said this. You, there is no proof. There is no proof. And and there definitely was um, discussions, but um, I think everyone took it with good humor because, um, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, that's a sad place to be. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, people do this and, and I know my team even does it now. I know there's little, you know, there's little documentation of, uh, of quotes that are being said and, you know, I love it. It's it, it creates great memories. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask a question. Post games, you decide to stay in this space, you and your partners, you form infinite scale. Have you ever wondered what would life be like if I didn't do the games? What would I be doing? Um, yeah, you know, I do think about all those different decisions or milestones in my life that have kind of led me to where I am because we have shared the story of infinite scale, um, many different times where my partners and I, you know, people like, well, how did, how did you, you know, create this? And, you know, you think about it and go, wow, I, I go back to, you know, receiving that email from the recruiter and, and at that, that epiphany of finally, when I was like, oh my gosh, this is for me. And then this realization that comes to my own awareness of who I am and who I want to be. And I'm like design and sport and the Olympics um, dream job. Right. And thinking about that, I mean, I, like I had mentioned earlier, I had a really great life in Los Angeles and I was working for a, a great firm doing great work. I was working on um, the LAX International Airport. And I'd done work for the Union Station downtown Los Angeles and doing some work um, over in Manila in the Philippines and just amazing work. It, it was very exciting. But but when this opportunity came, it's like, whoa, okay, that was this, this star that I didn't really know it was even reachable. So kind of, you know, creating that awareness and, you know, thinking about even after the games, because we all could have gone to work for someone else or leaped to another, um, another Olympics or, you know, um, kind of done the event, we call them event junkies or event, event hoppers or whatever you want to call them, which truly is an enjoyable experience as well. But we, you know, we just kind of did this. And we didn't really think about a big picture master plan. We just did it. We just jumped in and started doing it, started creating it, didn't have a full on business plan, but we believed in ourselves, And we also knew that we wanted to stay here in Salt Lake. And that was interesting too, because my plan was to move back to Los Angeles. I'm like, oh, I can go to Salt Lake for three years and then go back. And, um, I think the more you live in Salt Lake, the more you realize what a beautiful quality of life it gives you and what opportunities it gives you. And I think, you know, being in Salt Lake actually really did give us that opportunity to start a business and in an affordable way 
where I'm thinking if we were in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco or cities that, you know, are much higher cost to be able to do something like that and take that risk, um, it would have been much more challenging. But Salt Lake gave us that opportunity and we just did it, which I think back, I'm like, you know, it's amazing to think like, wow, we just did that. And, and it, you know, milestone after milestone, it, it kind of like you start taking little mini risks and then you get more comfortable taking risks and then you take bigger risks and bigger risks and they're calculated. Um, but they, they kind of, you know, they, um, expand on each other and here we are 18 years into our business now. I'm still thrown by the fact that everything hinged on you getting an email from a recruiter. Like, I know. What happens if this email never comes? Or what happens if you say, you know what, I don't really care about that. I just throw it in the garbage. You know? Yeah, it's like the sliding doors, you know, the sliding doors, those, the, the moments of um, an opportunity that could change your life completely. And absolutely, what if my email was down? Or what if I went into spam, you know? And, and you think about that and yeah. And, um, it's really amazing to think of those, those little sliver moments can really change your life. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a butterfly effect. Um, but instead of affecting the weather, it's affecting your own personal career. Wow. Well, Amy, this has been so much fun for me. I thank you so much for recounting all of your stories. As I mentioned before we started our little podcast today, we have these little assignments for you. So I hope you're prepared, (laughs) uh, with your responses. The first assignment is about music. Uh, I'm a music lover. I love music. It's very important in my life. And that's why I wanted to ask this question. And it's funny because as I've asked everyone this question, they've also said how important music was and how it takes them back to certain periods of their lives. And so can you give us a name of a song that you listened to back in the Salt Lake 2002 time period that when you hear it today, you just immediately find yourself back in Salt Lake 2002. Oh, and music does have that that power to take you back in time. You know, I know they use music for therapy and um, for healing and and it really does bring back moments. And and with this question, obviously, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, there's so many. And, and I don't have one that's coming like straight up to the top of my mind right now. But I do have a, an answer to your question, which may be a little off of how most people are answering it. So I hope you're open to uh, a creative way to answer this. But um, during during the design process, um, the, the theme of Salt Lake was light the fire within. Do you remember light the fire yep, within? I do. Okay. And so our department also worked on the the logo, the type uh, for it. So it was in a script font, uh, light the fire within. And the font was actually um, Banshee. Okay, so that's the name of the font used for it. Banshee is also the font used for friends, you know, the right (laughs) friends. So I'll have to throw in the mix. And I and I did watch every single episode of Friends. And I think about the friendships that I that I um, established and built during the games. But can I put the the Friends theme song in there as my contribution to the um, to the the list the Spotify list view. Absolutely. You can include that. We'll put that in the list. And uh, yeah, that's a great one because you you really had two iconic shows of the nineties. You had Seinfeld and you had friends, right? I mean, those were the big shows of the 1990s. It was must see TV on Thursday nights on NBC. And uh, so that takes you right back to that time period. 
So we'll definitely add that to our Spotify playlist and listeners, you can go to Spotify and you can just look up, do a search on the Salt Lake 2002 uh, or Salt Lake 2002 retrospective and that playlist will pop right up and you can see all the songs that everybody has nominated so far. My next question for you has to do with food. And again, this is a selfish one because I love food and it's very important to me. You can't, uh, or the listeners can't see me, but you can see me. You can tell that I love food a lot. So, uh, was there a particular restaurant, place that you'd like to go either for lunch with your coworkers or uh, because you lived in the avenues close by, maybe after, uh, mm-hmm. after a hard day of work, you wanted to go there and have a relaxing dinner? What was a, what was a restaurant that you went to that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, there, there were a few. Um, unfortunately, I think most of them do not exist anymore, although one does. I know that we would always go to the bakery, the Gourmandise bakery. We'd go to the Gourmandise for lunch all the time. It was walkable and it was delicious. And it's, it's, it's still, it's still there and it's, it's thriving. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how, how it's doing these days through, through, um, you know, COVID, but I, I'm sure that it's, it's getting its fair share because it has such delif- delicious bakery and salads and, and, and meals. So we would go there all the time. Of course, the, the Globe Cafe that, that was right, right across from the, the Wells Fargo building and, and it, you know, turned into a nightclub at night. But the other one that I would put on the list, um, and I believe it was called the Lazy Moon Saloon. Was it called the Lazy Moon Saloon? It was where Twist is now. Um, on exchange place and it has this huge patio. And so we would go there and we would have meetings on the huge patio and have, have uh, team drinks all the time. I'm pretty sure it was called lazy moon saloon. Um, I think so. I'll have to look it up. I don't remember for sure. I mean, I certainly remember the globe and I certainly remember Gourmandise, uh, because we go there on a fairly frequent basis because I absolutely love the pastries and the eclairs and the macarons and Mm -hmm. all the baked goods that are there. Uh, And in fact, uh, one of our, one of our previous guests, Maureen Sweeney, she also uh, nominated Gourmandise as well. So yes, we'll add your name uh, to the Gourmandise as well. Um, And I'll look up the the Lazy Moon Saloon. uh, Yeah. Okay, final question for you, and then we'll let you go because we know you're busy. I'd like to get from you your favorite Olympic memory. It could be anything, but something that when you think back, when you look back on it today, it just really warms your heart. It gives you that feeling of goosebumps. It just it's that one memory that encapsulates the games for you. I mean, instantly what, what pops in is one of my most favorite memories and something I can still, I can, I can really visualize it and picture it. It was, you know, sitting there, we, as, as part of the staff of SLOC, we, you know, had the opportunity to go to opening and closing ceremony. And I remember the moment, I mean, opening ceremony was certainly spectacular, but I'll have to put as one of my most memorable moments was closing ceremony and with the, 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 the white balls being tossed around, it was this huge celebration. I mean, we're crying. We're thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm going to start crying now because we, we, we were part of such a magical moment and a magical experience for not only ourselves, but for the world to put this together. And, and, you know, as you're working hard, you're working on it, you're working on it and, and you know, it's special, but when you 
when you're there and you're experiencing it and you're seeing it and you're seeing the impact that it's having and all the emotions of, of the athletes and the celebration. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I mean, I was bawling. I was bawling because it was so beautiful. And then I was also a, a sadness that it's over. It's like, it's over. Oh, that's a great memory. I remember that too, the balls being tossed around. It was like a huge party there in Rice Eccles. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're right. It was, a, dancing. it was amazing, but it was a bit of a bittersweet moment. And there was a part of me is like, okay, well, what happens now? You know, am I ever going to have an experience in my career that is going to top this? Because it was right. so fun. And I have to tell you a funny story. I don't know if you recall, but Salt Lake 2002 had a job placement program. And so they, they would try to, you know, hook you up with, with companies that were hiring. And so right after the games ended, I got a call from a a company that was a, a, a paper mill. They were looking for a head of technology and they're doing, I'm doing a phone interview and they're so excited about their company. And at one point in the interview, they, they said very proudly, you know, we make, we manufacture 85% of the private label toilet paper sold in the Western United States. And I thought to myself, well, that's great, but I just came off of these Olympic games and working for a company that makes toilet paper doesn't sound that appealing to me. Nowadays, I kind of wish I was working for the toilet paper company because oh it's really goodness. hard to find toilet paper. I would have had oh, the inside track on toilet you paper. Would have, you would have had a stash at home. Oh, I would have had a limited supply of toilet had, paper. Had you known, had you known, but... But I think you made some good choices. I think you made some good choices. Well, I don't know, but uh, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I really enjoy talking with you today, Amy. Um, now, I have a question for you as we wrap up here. If people want to learn more about Infinite Scale or they want to connect with you, um, how might they best do that? Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great question. Well, certainly... Um, you can go to our website, infinitescale.com, and it's I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E-S-C-A-L-E.com. And we also have our, our Facebook page and our social uh, other social media on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find all of those uh, handles on our website, again, infinitescale.com. Okay, excellent. Amy, again, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much.